Thank you for downloading this week's episode of PR Week's Coffee Break. For more episodes, visit PRWeek.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee Break. Steve Barrett here, the Editorial Director of PR Week, here with another edition. And we're delighted to have Art Stevens with us, who's managing partner of the Stevens Group. Art, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you doing today? Steve, thank you very much. Greetings from Sanibel, Florida, where I am at the moment. I bet the weather's a bit warmer than it is in New York City. We're all... Uh, well, a bit, but it's, it's actually a chilly day here. Is it? Okay, well, I'm glad. <laughs> Why should it just be us suffering it? Um, we're going to talk to you a lot about agency M&A. It's a really right. hot market at the moment, and um, we'll, we'll chat around that. But first of all, tell us about the Stevens Group and your role in M&A, because you're involved in quite a lot of the deals that happen on the agency yeah. side. So tell us about the Stevens Group very quickly. Sure. Well, you know, I come out of the agency side. I used to have a public relations firm in New York called Oaks and Stevens, it got to be among the top 20 to 25 independent firms. I sold it to a publicist group, uh, and then I started doing mergers and acquisitions. And I've been doing it now for the last 15 years. It's a hot area. Yeah. So tell us what's involved. You, you do M&A, but what does that involve? How, tell us how the, a typical deal will come about and, and what bits that you will handle yeah. for your clients. Well, for the most part, I represent uh, sellers. Uh, I would say about 80 to 90% of the work I do is with agencies that are looking to sell their agencies for a variety of reasons. And I, I have networked uh, quite a lot in the PR industry. I've been very active in the PRSA and so on, the Page Society. And so I know who to go to when it comes to buyers, but it's mostly sellers who are looking, who, who constitute the, uh, the bulk of my work. So tell us why the market's so hot now, because over the last couple of years, we've seen so many deals. What is it just because PR is uh, is a hot area? We've you know we've seen during the pandemic that the respect and the need for PR services has gone up. Yeah. So is, is that really yeah. a reflection of that, the M&A market? Well, it is. It is. First of all, you know, PR agencies are doing better than they ever have, despite the pandemic. I mean, some were hurt like travel and tourism and so on, but they recovered very nicely. But agencies have done very well. And as you reported the other day, with Edelman approaching a billion dollars again in fees, it's it's clear that uh, the revenue base for the entire agency industry is way up. And it's it's come to the attention of both of a lot of larger agencies who want to add to their mix, as well as other types of buyers like private equity firms. Yeah, which of those two groups is being most active and, and what's the difference between handling deals in those two differing areas? Well, private equity firms are looking to build uh, organizations uh, that double, triple, quadruple their present revenue base uh, and will have a, another liquidity event in, say, three to five years. They're looking to sell again and they're doing it because they see the uh, PR industry as well as digital interactive is being very strong. PR agencies are looking really to complement what they are presently doing. Some feel they're leaving money on the table by not having certain skills and niches that they think their clients could use. Yeah, and we saw you mentioned Edelman. We saw they get, they came back into the M&A space last year by buying a firm yeah. in DC and then a, a small content firm in Brooklyn as well. So it was interesting to see them coming back into the yeah. into the fold there. What's the biggest difference then for an agency by going, you know, private equity, they're numbers people, aren't they, really? I mean, they they want to make, they want to turn their investments. So what's the difference and how, and how do you advise your clients versus, you know, 
looking for a private equity deal or going down the agency, bigger agency route? Depends what they want in terms of their future. Uh, first of all, fewer uh, PR agency principals are selling their firms to exit. That was a uh, trend years ago, you know, when it was really an exit strategy. Today, it's a growth strategy where agencies want to stay on, the principals want to stay on uh, and thrive. Uh, the difference is that if the seller is very aggressive uh, and really feels that uh, he or she is in a niche that could be built upon, uh, they may want to go with a private equity firm because a private equity firm will provide the funding for additional acquisitions and the original seller would be the platform agency. And so the growth will be quite strong. That's the primary difference as far as uh, agencies acquiring PR, uh, other PR agencies. Again, as, as I said, it's really a matter of, uh, of growing that niche because the, the acquiring agency is leaving money on the table. And for the most part, the seller's uh, principal wants to become ultimately part of the management team of the of the parent organization. Now, we still see the founders do tend to leave after they've finished their earnout clause, don't we? I mean, despite they might even go into the deal with great sort of um, expectations of sticking around. But in practice, often they do leave anyway. So what's your thoughts on that? And is that just an ine inevitable part of it? And if they've uh, integrated their firm within a new structure, then it, it, it's maybe healthy for them for them to move on and for new leaders to take over. What, what's your view on that? Well, my view is that it, you know, it's it's really based on uh, initial discussions between seller and buyer, which of course I, I help facilitate. That's one of my roles uh, to determine, you know, what 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 is in the seller's mind? Does that seller really want to stay on? Earnout periods can be anywhere from three, four to five years. So some sellers will say, okay, I'll stay for the duration of the earnout period, and then I'll leave because I have a very strong number two person who can take this uh, uh, firm over when I'm gone. Um, other sellers will say, I want to stay around forever. You know, uh, I'm not looking to exit. I want to stay. So it, it, it really depends on the conversation that the seller and the buyer have to determine what the seller's goals are. They should be known well in advance by both parties so that, uh, that the seller and the buyer can plan accordingly. Now, you've got certain agency groups that have been really aggressive in the M&A market. I'm thinking of Stagwell, I'm thinking of Finn Partners, Real Chemistry, and they've really grown a lot by taking on quite a few acquisitions. What's your observations on that? And what are the sort of potential upsides and the pitfalls of, of taking on a lot of acquisitions over a relatively small space of time? Well, uh, let's, Finn Partners is a good example. I, I know Peter well. I've done many, many deals with him. Uh, he's been a great source of uh, income to me uh, and a great uh, partner in that process. Peter's goal, you know, is obviously to build a, a $500 million agency, and I believe he will in, uh, in relatively short order. Um, I don't know if he has plans to sell it at that point or not. You know, obviously it's a family business and his son is in it, and I think he's got a sister in it as well. But his goal, you know, is to try to uh, broaden the range of services, to broaden the bandwidth of uh, services that he can offer to both present and prospective clients. So he continues to find additional niches, you know, to add to what he has. I think his policy is really to grow mostly by acquisition. And so the integration process is really vital. How does he integrate all of these firms? It's, it's a process that he's developed with his key people and uh, Given my knowledge of what he does, those agencies are very happy there. It's a quality place to work.
Yeah, and he'll, but he's also sort of had an investment. Stagwell took an investment in Fin Partners for a while, and then and that I think has ended now. So that was an interesting nuance as well. It did end because uh, I think Stagwell, you know, had sort of uh, approval rights at one point as to what Peter could do in terms of acquisitions. Uh, obviously, uh, Peter did not want that uh, on a ongoing basis, and so they they parted company. And now Peter. Uh, I, be, I believe he has some funding here and there. I think most of the big boys have funding here and there, obviously, as well as the PE firms. But that's another interesting phenomenon, the fact that, you know, uh, uh, PR agencies that had never made acquisitions before are working with investment bankers and uh, other private equity firms, you know, to shore up the funding that they need to make acquisitions because acquisitions are going to become even stronger as time goes by. And what about Real Chemistry? Because they've actually made, uh, they've, they've appointed a new CEO who kind of comes from that private ex- equity yeah. world. So that was an interesting move. Maybe someone who really understands what the ownership structure there is looking for and looking to um, get the most out of a, a lot of acquisitions over the last two or three years. So an incredible growth, both organically That's and acquisition-wise. That's a phenomenal situation and probably a, a rare one indeed because, uh their goal was to reach four, 400 million, 500 million, uh, which meant many, many acquisitions. And of course, they did have the support of a private equity firm who owned a great deal of equity, you know, in in the real chemistry. Jim Weiss, who, by the way, who of course started uh, real chemistry when it was called W2O, he actually started his career in my public relations firm. He was an intern at my firm, and I got him into healthcare. And there the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> But but uh, the situation there, you know, is that they their game plan was to build a firm that they could sell. So when it reaches 500 million, which it probably will at any moment now, I suspect that they will sell it to either a private equity firm or or an even larger public relations firm if there is one. And what about the the major holding companies like an Omnicom, Interpublic, Publicist, WPP? What's the difference in doing deals with those entities where obviously they're buying agencies of all types, not just public relations firms? They have specific criteria. You know, they they require, of, uh, I think most of them require at least a minimum net fee revenue of, uh, of 10 million um, and an EBITDA of like three million, so that eliminates firms, you know. And make, there are so many firms out there that do below ten million in net fee revenues that are available for sale. Uh, but the uh, the holding company PR agencies will not touch them because they have they have a, a minimum level, and so that's one that's one uh, situation. The other situation is that they have so many. The holding companies have so many public relations firms and ad agencies and other marketing services firms that a lot of sellers feel that they may be left out, you know, by, by being part of a, a considerably larger organization than perhaps they would feel comfortable with. Okay. Now, so, so from your experience, wide experience, give us a couple of tips for an agency that's looking to sell and give us a couple of pitfalls. You know, we've all seen deals go bad and, and the, the fit just wasn't there and it quickly became obvious. So give us a couple of um you know, must do's and also pitfalls to watch out for? I think must do's is, uh, you know, if you're going to sell your agency, you have to have an, a good idea as to as to why, you know, uh, what the rationale is, whether you want to grow with it, stay with it, leave. Uh, 
you know, be part of a bigger organization, you know, have a, you know, that uh, adrenaline shot that comes with doing something different in your life. But uh, you, be sure that you know the parameters of being acquired. And that is, you know, uh, that you, you have to have uh, readable financial statements. Uh, there are a lot of smaller firms, you know, that use outside bookkeepers and what have you, and their financial statements are, are really not accurate at all. So, you know, the professionalism that you demonstrate as a seller is very important to a prospective buyer. Uh, number two, have a, have a strong second management team behind you. Have a number two person who can take over for you at any one time and preferably two or three people. I think buyers look for that. They look for management depth. The third thing is, um, you know, don't overprice your firm. One of the first things I do is uh, I, I try to get a reading from a seller who perhaps is not familiar with being acquired and, or what the, what the financial parameters are. So if a $5 million firm, for example, uh, tells me, the owner tells me that, oh, he, he'd like $50 million for his firm. I say, well, come back in 10 years <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. oh, you're not realistic. So be realistic. Um, now, as far as uh, the uh, other side of the equation, um, you know, buyers obviously look for niches. They look for geography. They look for location. Uh, they look for add-ons that they could offer their clients. And, and so the two, have to, the two have to meld very nicely. Uh, the most important thing, by the way, is really the way the, uh, the management teams of both the seller and the buyer get along. Quality of life is very vital, you know, because if you find out during the course of being acquired that you don't like the people you're with, it's too late. It's a chemistry thing, yeah. yeah. What about, I mean, I've seen agencies that they got so consumed with trying to sell themselves that they kind of took their eye off the ball and it took over the agency and, and was really, you know, a bad bad for them in, in terms of just day-to-day -day operations. How do you avoid that happening? It's a time-consuming process, you know, and you have, to, you have to realize that there will be many conversations, many documents being exchanged, many questions being asked, uh, you know, even to the extent that if you have skeletons in the closet, you know, that has to be, that has to be uh, divulged. So it's time consuming. And if you're really ready to sell, you have to go through a process understanding that, particularly if you talk to more than one buyer, you know, very often there'll be two or three buyers, you know, involved in discussions with a seller. Um, that is very time consuming. So you have to make sure your firm is properly run by your, 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 your management team and that you have the time as the owner to devote to all the necessary steps that go into selling your agency. Yeah, it's good advice, Art. And uh, thanks for giving us an insight into the world of agency M&As. Fascinating stuff and a fascinating time. So thanks for joining us on Coffee Break. Steve, thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Coffee Break. For more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.